Hi, my name is Dory, and you're listening to a public podcast. If you want more information about anything going on here at Public Church, visit our website, publicchurch.com. Thanks for listening. Now we're going to put the bridge of the song we just sang. It's How Great Is Our Love by Passion, and it's going to be on the screen. And this is what we were just singing. It says, there has never been and there will never be a God like you, a love so true. Now, for those of us who follow Jesus, when we sing this, when we repeat it, when we read these words on the screen, what should happen is it should create some type of emotional response in us. Maybe that means we're lifting our hands, maybe a little fist bump, maybe we're just kind of going, woo, you know, quietly to ourselves, or maybe we're just closing our eyes, but it should create some type of emotional response in us when we think about that we're singing about our unrivaled God and his matchless love. And that response is expected. But what's unexpected is that that very line triggered a response in some of you guys who don't follow Jesus. And we're gonna put that line back up on the screen because what that line did is it also triggered a response in some of you who honestly aren't sure if you follow Jesus or not. You know, there was a season in your life where you thought you followed Jesus and you're part of a church family, but you walked away. And honestly, if we were to sit down and hear your story, we would probably understand why you walked away. You probably have very legitimate reasons for that. But you walked away and now you're trying to figure out, can I come back and what does that look like? And I just don't really know where I stand with Jesus. Yet when you hear this line that there's never been, there will never be a God like you, a love so true, something triggers inside of you. It's this unexplainable emotion. It almost feels like hope. Hope that there never has been, there never will be a God like him and that maybe you could connect with that God. And be careful with this emotion because if you lean into that last line a little too much, it could just go full blown into hope as you think about, man, is there really a love so true? And so what we're going to do in our series that we're beginning tonight is we're going to explore that emotion, that unexplainable sliver of emotion that feels a lot like hope and that you just can't seem to escape. Now, this week I was at Public Church South, which is also known as Starbucks on Inman Street, if you're unfamiliar. We call it that because a whole lot of us have meetings there. I know for me personally, I like coffee. I'm going to buy coffee somewhere. So I've just decided to intentionally be a regular there so I can build relationships and get to know people. So I was there and I ran into a friend of mine. And if we were to go back a few years, this particular friend, um, he had not been in a setting like this in about 20 years. Really, since he was 12 years old until he was, uh, you know, between 30 and 40, he never even uttered a word to God. And he walked away for legitimate reasons, reasons that we would probably understand and empathize with if we sat down and had a conversation with him. But a few years ago, he got invited to a gathering and he came and loved it. And for a season, he was part of our public church family. And then life happened and he disappeared for about two years. And a few weeks ago, I ran into him at Public Church South or Starbucks, and he said, hey, I've been gone, but I know I need to be back. And three weeks ago, he came back. Last week, he missed. And then this past week, I saw him again at um, my second office, Public Church South. And as I saw him, he said, hey, I had to work last Sunday, but I'll be here today. And and here's what I told him. I said, man, I really hope you can come because you're going to enjoy this series so much. The same day, I was also at Public Church South, and I ran into 
a friend of mine that I went to school with that hadn't seen in several years. And as we were talking, I just felt this nudge of the Holy Spirit to just ask, hey, are, are you part of a church family? And I loved his honesty. You know, sometimes in Cleveland, everybody thinks that they're a Christian, you know, and they're just like, yeah, I'm gonna say whatever you wanna say. No, he just said, look, no, I'm not. And I, I don't follow Jesus. I'm not a believer. And I was like, I like the authenticity. And he said, in fact, I went to a local church gathering like this last Sunday. And he said, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was gonna be. And we just laughed. I was like, that's awesome. You know, and we laughed. And, but I could tell in our conversation, he wasn't really planning on going back. So I said, hey, well, why don't you come this Sunday? Because I think that you will really enjoy this series. And I mentioned those two encounters because from the top, I want us all to know that this series is dedicated to all of you who don't yet follow Jesus. This series is dedicated to all of you who maybe at one point thought you did, but you left and now you're not really sure where you stand with Jesus. This series is dedicated to you. So for those of us who are Jesus followers, Here's what that means. We need to think about the people that we know and our family and our friends and our coworkers who don't follow Jesus who, or who aren't really sure where they stand with Jesus. And we need to think about the people that we could never visualize walking through that door. And we need to invite them anyway. And when you invite them, tell them, hey, we want you to come. In fact, you may even send them this podcast to kind of give them a feel so they're, not, they're, they're walking in with a little bit of knowledge and let them know, hey, this series we're in is dedicated to you. And again, Jesus followers, look, if, if we're serious about reaching people, our friends, our family, our coworkers that don't know Jesus, if we're serious about living out the part of our vision that says we invite people to embrace the journey of following Jesus, then we need this series. Because if we will live out the big ideas that we're gonna discuss throughout this series, then that will set us up to really invite people to follow Jesus. So back to that emotional response that was triggered in some of you. You know, you may be wondering, okay, well, where did that came for, come from? Well, it came from Jesus's love. Jesus's love produced that sliver of emotion that feels like hope, but you can't really put words to. See, Jesus's love compels us. Jesus's love, it, it, it's intriguing. And in ways that we can't articulate, his love pulls at our hearts and evokes emotions in us that just don't make sense. And that's why our series is called A Love I Can't Shake. Because that is what Jesus's love is. It's a love that no matter how hard we try to dismiss it or walk away from it or ignore it, we just can't seem to shake it. In fact, some of you have tried to run away from it, yet here you are at the four o'clock gathering. And honestly, you don't really know why you're here. I mean, you maybe have some surface reasons, like I think she's cute or I'd like to get his phone number or so-and-so's buying me dinner after this. I mean, you may have some of those reasons, but at a soul level, you're going, there's more and I can't quite put words to it. I'm not sure why I'm here. And that's his love that we can't shake that's pulling us in. That's his love pursuing us. And, and what happens is at certain points in our gathering as you participate, certain things trigger that unexplainable emotion. In fact, maybe it was this line in our first song. We opened up with Good Grace by Hillsong United and maybe it was this line. Fix your eyes on this one truth. God is madly in love with you. And maybe when you heard that the first time, you're like, oh, what's that? And then we repeated it, we came back to it. You're like, 
man, that definitely creates hope in me. And you're thinking, I really hope that this one truth really is true. See, the thing that we need to understand tonight, and I I think it's kind of crazy, is that no matter how far we run, no matter how many reasons we have that we're not gonna follow Jesus, we just can't outrun his love. We can't ever fully shake off or dismiss his love. And maybe you think I'm crazy, because when you think about Jesus' love, you feel more numb than you feel compelled. Look, stay with us. I really think that by the end, as we define his love and talk about how Jesus loved us, that you're also gonna be saying, man, that is a love I can't shake. And not only is this series dedicated to those of you who don't yet follow Jesus or maybe don't even know where you stand with Jesus, but I also simply wanna apologize to you. On behalf of Jesus followers, I wanna apologize to you because too often we make it more difficult than we should for you to follow Jesus. Well, how do you make it difficult? We make it difficult when we fail to love like Jesus. So here's how that's played out in my life. I know that for, for some people that I've encountered, probably for some of you in this room, what I've done is I've actually pushed you farther away from Jesus by my failure to love like Jesus. And so what you've tried to do because of my actions is you've actually tried to shake or dismiss or ignore or walk away from this love that you can't shake. And so I wanna say I'm sorry. And and because of our behavior, this statement is a statement that a lot of you go, oh yeah, I felt that. And maybe you can resonate with this statement. It's simply this, Jesus's love is a love I can't shake, but I don't seem to have a problem shaking his followers. You know, I know that I can't quite dismiss or ignore Jesus' love, but man, I can sure get rid of his followers real quick. I mean, that's sad. And honestly, Jesus' followers, that's, that's on us. So look, all I can ask is, please don't attribute our failures to Jesus. Because Jesus told us how to love, we just ignore him. In fact, here's what Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. This verse is the inspiration for this series. And Jesus' followers, he told us what to do. He said that we should love just as he has loved us because we struggle to dismiss the way he's loved us. We feel compelled and drawn in and pulled into the way he loves us. So how has Jesus loved us? We're gonna get there, hold on. But first, verse 35, Jesus also said this, by this, what is this? It's loving as Jesus has loved us. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Loving like Jesus should be the distinguishing mark of Jesus' followers. We should love in such a way that people go, now that's a love I can't shake. And so Jesus followers, again, we need this series. What this series is for us is this is an opportunity for us to evaluate areas, times, situations, relationships where we have failed to love like Jesus. And it's an incredible chance for us to press reset. And maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time in a long time, that we can truly love just as Jesus has loved 
us. Which takes us back to our question. Well, how has Jesus loved us? And we're gonna answer that by dropping into a scene in Jesus's life where we're gonna see what he taught and how he lived out what he was teaching. So we're gonna be in Matthew chapter five, verse 43. If you have your Bible or Bible app, you can go there. If you don't, we're gonna put it on the screen because we wanna make it easy for you to follow along. And as you're going there, one of the keys to us really understanding the emotion in this scene is knowing that Matthew wrote the book of Matthew. That, that's shocking, isn't it? Some of you are like, I did not see that coming. Okay, I mean, kind of predictable. Matthew wrote the book of Matthew, and here's what's unique about him. He is an eyewitness. He's an eyewitness to everything going on here. So history people, that means that we're not reading a secondary source. No, we are reading a primary source of someone who witnessed these events live. He was there for the conversation. He watched Jesus' actions like he was there. And that adds weight to what we are reading. And we're also reading an excerpt from what is commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And you may think, well, why is it called the Sermon on the Mount? It's because a crowd gathered and Jesus was on a mountainside and he gave a talk. And so we call it the Sermon on the Mount. The creativity is overwhelming, I understand. <laughs> it's like, wow, that was really good. You know, like, so original. So that's why we call it the Sermon on the Mount. What a lot of times we fail to understand about the Sermon on the Mount, though, is it contains teachings that Jesus repeated. He didn't just say these teachings one time in one setting and just leave them. Because think about it. Jesus couldn't get on the side of a mountain, hey, say, hey, make sure the camera angle's good, give a talk, have his followers upload it on YouTube, and it go all over the world. No, he couldn't do that. But what happened is, as Jesus walked, people gathered, and then Jesus talked, and his message of love and the way he loved spread all over. So this is a collection of teachings that, yeah, he said at this place, but he also taught this repeatedly because he wanted people to get it, and he wants us to get it. And here's what he says about love in Matthew chapter five, verse 43. You have heard that the, the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, you may be wondering, okay, well, where did the people get this hate your enemy from? This is not explicitly stated in what we would call the Old Testament, also known as the Hebrew Bible, which is the first portion of our Bible. You can't go through the Old Testament and find a, a verse and a place that says, hate your enemy. But... People inferred it from that. In other words, people added it. So at this point, there's this written law, Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor, and there's its unwritten companion, which is hate your enemy. And here's the key that we need to understand. No one in Jesus's audience, none of Matthew's original audience would have been alarmed by putting these two together. They'd have gone, oh yeah, I've heard that my whole life. You should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Yeah, yeah, I've been taught that my whole life. They just expected these two to go together. So what Jesus says next rattles them. Verse 44, but I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Look, this is revolutionary in its newness. There are hints of this in the Old Testament, but, but it's not explicit. And so we need to understand the emotion of what's going on. So as Jesus starts and he says, verse 43, as he says, hey, Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. The crowd's going, yep, that's right. Heard that one, Jesus, right on. You gonna give us something new? Like I've been told that my whole life. And then when Jesus goes, but I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
I like to think there's a collective gasp throughout the crowd of like, <gasps> no, nobody says that. And nobody definitely lives that. He's lost his mind. Like, what in the world? And then when he traveled around and he said this multiple times, they're like, he's still saying this crazy stuff. Like, what in the world is going on? Because this is not how people think. Now, here's what we do. We often distance ourselves from the shock of this statement based on how we interpret two words, enemies and persecution. A lot of times we think of enemies as people that the United States has declared war on. So we kind of look at this word enemies and we go, hey, if you're not trying to bomb me, then you're not really an enemy. I don't know about you, but no one tried to bomb my house this week. And so we can sit there and go, hey, I don't really have any enemies. This passage, cute teaching Jesus, that's really cool and challenging for someone else. And the persecution, in Jesus' audience, there are people there who are gonna die for their faith in him. People who are gonna be martyred, killed, because they love Jesus. All around the world today, there's Jesus followers that are at risk and then that are not just at risk, but that are beaten and that are murdered for their faith in Jesus. And the reality is in Cleveland, Tennessee in 2019 in America, we're probably not gonna face that. And so we can easily kind of distance ourselves from this teaching and go, you know what, Jesus, that is for someone else in some other place. And we lose what Jesus is trying to say. And it's not just that we lose what he's trying to say, but the people around us that don't yet follow Jesus, they lose too. Because when we distance ourselves from this, what we do is we walk out the door, we continue to fail to love like Jesus, and we further this mindset that Jesus' love is a love I can't shake, but I sure can shake Jesus' followers. And we just further the problem. So instead of distancing ourselves, we actually need to lean into this. And it begins with understanding that the root of the word enemy is this concept of enmity. So when we read enemy, we should think audience participation, enmity. Let's try it one more time. When we read enemy, we should think, honestly, it helps me because they kind of sound similar and I get confused. I'm like, okay, at least they're related. Like I know that. But here's what enmity is. Enmity is a feeling or condition of hostility between two people. And so I have to ask, like over the past few weeks, have you had any feelings of hostility, any tension relationally between yourself and other people in your life? Have I had that? If not, it's coming in the next few weeks. And sadly, in fact, I may have just described some of your current relationships with your spouse or your kids, your teenage son. You're like, yeah, there's enmity between us. I'm ticked. Or your boss or your coworkers or people that work for you. Like all of us know this feeling of enmity. And suddenly when we understand that, now we're seeing, oh man, Jesus is talking to me. And then when it comes to persecution, I, I just want, wonder, have you ever been criticized? Have you ever had someone give you a hard time? That is not the level of persecution faced by this audience or by people all over the world, but it does hurt. And if we begin to look at what Jesus is saying through that lens, we understand we don't need to distance ourselves. We need to lean in because he is talking to us. And here's what Jesus is really uncovering. It's the fact that often what we do is we live transactional lives. And to help us understand that, I actually brought a notepad. And I, I love you guys' help. 
anybody on this side of the room, any of you have somebody do um, something wrong to you this week? Like they criticized you, they did you wrong, they kind of messed you over. Anybody had, no, no names, that would get really awkward. But just kind of a quick story about somebody that wronged you this week. Anybody? You guys must say, oh, Nicole, thank you. I was about to say, y'all had like great weeks or something. All right, fill me in, Nicole. Well, I trust this person. That's it, we're done. <laughs> Is there anything specific or just your overall fact that you teach freshmen? Um, no, they, just they just don't listen, okay? So not listening. So the way we live our lives is when we get wronged, we write it down, and so we've got this list of the wrong that's done, but then what we also have is revenge. We're going to get them back. We live transactionally. So, Nicole, or some of you can help her, how could she get revenge on these freshmen in our class that don't listen? Fail them. Fail them. <laughs> Spoken from another teacher. Fail. You don't go. Well, then she might have them again. Anyway, we'll, we'll keep going. <laughs> It's a good start. It's a good start. Okay, so somebody on this side of the room, how have you been wronged this week? This is like group therapy. This is really good for you, okay? How have you been wronged this week? Tennessee basketball almost gave me a heart attack. Mm, Tennessee. They're finally good, and then they're like kind of semi-falling apart, and it's not good. So here's the question. How can we get revenge on Tennessee basketball? What? <laughs> <laughs> we can riot. We all know the answer. The, the Twitter accounts, like Vol Nation has already taken over the world. You got like a coach fired or before he was even hired. So we'll just go with social media is our friend, specifically Vol Twitter. And we can rip them and forget that they're humans and just talk about them like they're just athletes that don't matter and don't have souls because they don't play like we want them to. And so we can get revenge on them, transactional. Now, back to the side of the room. Not only do we keep track of wrongs and how we're gonna avenge those wrongs, but we also keep track of when people do good things to us. You know, like sometimes people are nice and they show kindness. So did anybody have someone do something good to you this week? Colin? My son gave me a massage. Woo, okay. I like it. So massage from son, that's awesome. So Colin or anybody else, when people are good to us, we reward them. So, how could you reward your son? A really good hug. Oh, a great hug. <laughs> Dad of the year. Okay, hug, that's awesome. Now, back to the southern room. Did something good happen to you this week? Come on, let's, let's keep track of this. Something good happened? Yes? You, what? They baked a cake for you? Oh, yes. <laughs> baked a cake. That is always a good week when someone bakes a cake for you. I'm with you. All right, so how can we then reward our cake bakers? Can well, who, who baked your cake for you? Your mom? No, okay, other people. So I like it, Spain, but what else can we do for cake bakers? High fives, yes. I like it. Okay, this is good. It, this is how we live our lives, isn't it? Now, we may not literally walk around with a notepad, some of you might, but this is what we do mentally, okay? We're like, okay, you wronged me? 
I'm gonna get revenge. And this is where social media is our friend. I'll just put you on blast. And then we have um, the good things people do. And once again, social media can be our friend because we can reward you on social media and say, oh, you're so nice and all this stuff and it's good. And we live this transactional way of life. And what Jesus wants us to understand is that if we're gonna have a love that I can't shake, we gotta get rid of that. And so Jesus' first point is that we have to reject the transactional way of life. No longer do we live in such a way that we love those who are nice to us and that we hate those who are mean to us. No longer do we keep a record of wrongs and just get revenge on people because let's be honest, that's exhausting, isn't it? I gotta keep track of what Alex did and how I can slyly one-up what he did to me so that I make him more miserable than he made me. I mean, this is just a tiring way to live, and yet it's what we do. And so Jesus says, look, we have to reject the transactional way of life. And in fact, if we were to zoom out and read more of the Sermon on the Mount, in in the previous section, he's already hit on this transactional idea and how we gotta reject it. And in Matthew chapter five, verse 38 in the message, here's what Jesus says. He says, here's another old saying that deserves a second look. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. That's as transactional as it gets, isn't it? Like, you hurt me, I hurt you. You're nice to me, I'm nice to you. And Jesus asked a question that's really just haunting. He says, is that gonna get us anywhere? Like, really? All the times that you've kept track of, you did me wrong and I got you back. Like, did that really get you where you want to go? Is that going to get us anywhere? And I think we all know the answer to that. And so Jesus proposes an alternative. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You may wonder, uh, I get love. That's the whole point of the series. But why pray? Because when we pray, we begin to see our enemies the way God sees his enemies. A lot of us come to God in prayer hoping to change God's mind through our prayer. And we walk away with our minds changed through our prayer. As we suddenly pray to our Father in heaven and he begins to change how we see our enemies so that we can see and treat our enemies the way our Father in heaven sees and treats his enemies because he has people in open rebellion against him. He has enemies. So how does God see and treat his enemies? Jesus is gonna tell us. Matthew chapter five, verse 45, he says, in that way, when you reject the transactional way of life, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Here's what he does. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Here's what Jesus is saying. We need to refine the standard that we live by because what this transactional mindset does is it leads to comparison. And here's the standard and the way we need to change it. The standard, we don't compare ourselves to others, but we look to our father's pattern. As long as we're transactional, we're also gonna be comparing ourselves. So you may think something like this. Okay, so I need to love. Well, I noticed that she serves in first impressions. She only spoke to three people before the four. I spoke to five people. I don't even serve on the team. I'm better than her. Woo woo. Or you think this, sure, he gives up an entire gathering to love our little ones through sprouts. Yeah, 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 that's great. But guess what I saw? I saw him be rude to a parent. Now for me, I've set up boundaries to make sure I'm not rude to any parents. I just don't serve in sprouts. And you're better than them. Anyway, that's a point for another day. 
But we just compare. And Jesus says, look, we, we don't got to stop this comparison game. We don't compare ourselves to others, but we look to our father's pattern. And here's what our father does. He lets his sun shine on the good and the evil. Have you thought about what our world would be like if God only let the sun shine on good people? It'd be a very dark world. <laughs> But he lets the sun shine on the good and the evil. And then he talks about rain. And we read this and we're just like, rain. No, no, this connects with us. Because the truth is, we've all bought in to this rain mindset. Here's what rain represents, blessings. In this agricultural society, these farming people, they associated rain with the blessings of God because they needed rain to grow their crops. They needed rain to make sure their animals had something to drink. And so if it rained, they're like, God is blessing me. And a whole lot of us at some point in our life have bought in this mindset that if I'm good, God blesses me. If I'm just, God gives me more money. Guess what that is? That's transactional. Jesus says, that's not the, the pattern of our father. Instead, what he does is he sends his blessings on the just and the unjust. Ooh, that's what our Father in heaven does. And so suddenly, instead of playing this comparison game, instead of this transactional way of living, we come face to face with the pattern of the Father. And I love how the message puts verse 45. I think it brings tremendous clarity to this whole concept. It says this, this is what God does. He gives his best. Isn't that awesome? That God gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless, the good and bad, the nice and nasty. <laughs> I love it. Are, are we doing that though? Are we giving our best regardless? Because if we're gonna follow the Father's pattern, if we're gonna reject the transactional way of life, then here's how we need to love. We love with an unaffected love. And here's what that means. No matter what you do to me, I love you back. No matter what you do to me, I love you back. That's the kind of love that I can't shake. That's the kind of love that our Father demonstrates. In fact, Jesus goes on to explain this further. In verse 46, he's actually gonna lean into the comparison game, which I love, because he tells us not to compare. And then he's like, but if you do compare, in case you're thinking about comparing, let me just show you what the comparison is really like. And this is incredible. He says, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. And so Jesus says, all right, here's the true comparison. And to really understand his statement, we need to know that when Jesus said in verse 43, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, everybody knew who the neighbor was and who the enemy was. Neighbor equals Jew. Fellow Jew, that's the neighbor, that's who we love. Enemy, there's two enemies. The first one is evil Jews, otherwise known as tax collectors. Tax collectors were considered greedy. They're viewed as parasites because here's what they did. They didn't just collect the taxes, they collected the taxes and then some so they could line their own pockets and live exorbitant lifestyles while the rest of their fellow Jews suffered. So they're the scum of the earth. They are parasites, they're terrible, they are the enemies. So Jesus goes, heck, you know, do you realize that if you only love those who love you, you're just like the tax collectors you hate? And they're like, oh, I'm not so comfortable with this comparison anymore, Jesus. I'm not, uh, I get it, I'm not gonna compare. And so Jesus kind of digs in further in verse 47. He says, oh yeah, and if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. 
What's Jesus saying? He said, oh, oh yeah, and the other category of enemy is anybody who's not a Jew. Maybe your version of the Bible says pagans or Gentiles, anybody that's not a Jew, that's also an enemy. And he goes, yeah, you know, if you're kind only to your friends, you're just like the ones you hate. You're just like your enemies. You're just like the pagans. And they're like, oh, we no longer want to compare Jesus. What Jesus is saying to us, though, if we only love those who love us, if we're only kind to those who are kind to us, I man, we're just like the people that get on our nerves, the people that we avoid, the people that we can't stand, the people that we have enmity with. Wow. Jesus just calls us out for our transactional way of life. And to me, the story has just come alive and been blowing up my mind as I'm studying, but there's one certain part of it that's rocking my world more than anything else. It's the perspective of Matthew. This eyewitness perspective of the author who wrote down the story. Because keep in mind, I mean, he hears this several times as Jesus speaks this in multiple locations. And I just imagine Matthew and he's going, oh my goodness, here Jesus goes, that weird stuff about love your enemies. Like, I can't believe I'm following him. Like, what does this say about me? Like, nobody talks like this. It's so weird, but all right, I'm, I'm with you, Jesus. I've, I've come committed. And then Jesus gets to verse 46 and says, man, if you only love, like, those who love you, you're just like the corrupt tax collectors. And Matthew's like, wait a minute. I was a tax collector. You calling me out, Jesus? Like, what are you trying to say? And to really understand his perspective, we really need to take an aside to Matthew chapter 9. We're not going to read that tonight. But I encourage you to get to a community group this week. They meet in homes and throughout this whole series, we're gonna be tracking along with our talks and specifically in our community groups this week, we're gonna talk about Matthew 5. We're also gonna talk about Matthew 9. So community groups would be a great chance to dive further in to this scene in Matthew's life. And, and here's what happens. Matthew's sitting there doing his tax collector thing, reject of society, corrupt, consider the scum of the earth, a parasite. And Jesus walks up to him and says two words that changes his life and changes his eternity. Jesus looks at him and says, hey, follow me. And Matthew gets up, leaves the tax collecting, parasitical lifestyle, changes and follows Jesus. And we read that, the crowd goes wild. No, the crowd didn't go wild. The crowd was ticked. In fact, some people may have walked away from Jesus because he looked at this greedy, no good enemy and said, follow me. I mean, this was scandalous that Jesus would invite a tax collector to follow him. But here's what Jesus was doing. He was demonstrating unaffected love towards Matthew. No matter what Matthew had done to Jesus or to his people, he was gonna love him back. And if Jesus invites a tax collector to follow him, it shows that no matter what you've done, no matter how far you are, none of us are beyond the reach of his love. The truth is that Jesus invited Matthew to follow him just as he found him. Because I've thought about how to understand Matthew's perspective. There's a song by Hillsong United, because as you find me, and this, the lyrics of this song just keep coming into my mind. Maybe you need to download this song and listen to it this week to try to get your, yourself into Matthew's perspective. But here's the lyrics, they're gonna be on the screen. It says, and I know I don't deserve this kind of love, but somehow, This kind of love is who you are. It's a grace I could never add up to be somebody you still want, but somehow you love me as 
you find me. If you walked in tonight and you don't follow Jesus, he loves you as he finds you. If you walked in and you're not sure if you follow Jesus and you've walked away and you're trying to find, is there even a way back for me to come back? Like he loves you as he finds you. For those of us who follow Jesus and have made it more difficult for people to follow him because of our failure to love like Jesus, he loves us as he finds us. And I love the way Andy Stanley in a a recent book describes a conversation that Jesus could have had with Matthew. I can just hear Jesus saying this. It says, Matthew, remember the first time we met? You were despised by your community and an embarrassment to your family. But I invited you to follow me anyway. So Matthew, extend that same grace to everyone you meet for the rest of your life as I have loved you. Matthew came face to face with a love that he couldn't shake and his story was changed forever. A favorite part about Matthew's story is that Matthew's story could be your story. That maybe you walked in and you don't follow Jesus. You're not sure if you follow him. Look, he extends the same invitation to you that he extended to Matthew. Two simple words, he says, follow me. So if you want to follow Jesus because you're tired of trying to shake off his love and you're ready to just embrace it, (laughs) then you can just tell him. Just be honest with him. There's no magic words. I'm not going to give you something to pray because you just got to be honest with Jesus. And the only thing we ask is that before you leave, you tell somebody. Stop by the info hub in the lobby and tell someone. Or in a few moments, uh, well, some of our prayer team is gonna be by this exit sign. And so go to the person by the exit sign and, and talk to them. Because when someone like Matthew, when someone like us follows Jesus, heaven goes wild. And we wanna know if you follow Jesus so we can get in on the celebration. Because Matthew's story can be your story. So Jesus is gonna end this incredible teaching with a statement that's just like, oh, of course, that's how you end Jesus. He says this in Matthew 5, 48. Summary, just be perfect. Oh, thanks, Jesus. It's great. <laughs> he says, but you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, what's he saying? He's saying, remember the standard. We don't compare ourselves to others, but we look to the Father's pattern. And what Jesus is implying is, if you want to see the Father's pattern, if you want to see perfection, he's saying, watch me. <laughs> Because I am the Father in human form. I am God. And what Jesus did is he loved his enemies. And in case you're wondering, that's us. Every single one of us is considered an enemy to God. At some point in our lives, we've all rejected his leadership and we are in open rebellion against God. So how does he view us and how does he love us? Well, what did he do for Matthew at Matthew's worst moment? See, I actually don't think that Matthew's worst moment was being a tax collector. I think his worst moment was when he abandoned Jesus, when Jesus needed him and his followers the most. As Jesus was approaching the cross, he'd been arrested, and Matthew and the rest of the carefully selected disciples, they were like, peace, I'm out. Because if they're going to kill you, they're probably going to come kill me, so I'm not going to have any part of this self-preservation. I'm abandoning you, Jesus. It's what an enemy does, isn't it? And yet on the cross, as Jesus was dying, he prayed a prayer for Matthew, for his enemies, for us. Here's what he prayed. He said, Father, forgive them, 
for they know not what they do. Jesus prayed for those who persecuted him. And Jesus' death wasn't the end of the story, no, but he rose from the dead. And as Matthew and the other disciples who'd all abandoned as they heard rumors that he might be alive, I think they were probably thinking, man, there's this love that we can't shake and we're just still kind of drawn to Jesus, but how could we ever face him? I mean, we abandoned him when he needed us the most. But you know what Jesus did? Jesus pursued them. Jesus came and found them and Jesus forgave them and restored them to a right relationship with himself. Jesus loved his enemies and he's pursuing us too. No matter how far we run, we can't outrun his love. And just like he loved Matthew in his worst moment, he loves us in our worst moments. And then here's the key, he says, now go love as I have loved you. So what do we do with that? I mean, if we follow Jesus, like seriously, what do we do? I, I really think his original followers, I don't think they had any idea. I think they heard this over and over and they were like, I'm confused. But then he died, rose again, pursued them, forgave them, restored them, and then it began to make sense. And over time, they figured it out. And so for us, it may take time. And that's why I think it's key that all of us go to a community group this week, that all of us continue this conversation, that we don't just walk out of the four o'clock and be like, all right, I'm done, forget it. No, it may take us some time to figure out what we need to do. So let's keep the conversation going. That may mean you go to the info hub and say, hey, can I have information on community groups? Like, what would you recommend? Because we need to keep the conversation going. But, and then what we're looking for, here's what we're trying to find, is one action that will allow us to display unaffected love. That will allow us to say, no matter what you do to me, I'm gonna love you back. And the start's probably gonna be simple. It may be as simple as when you go to eat tonight and you have a bad waitress. I hope that doesn't happen, but it may. And instead of just being rude back and go, I'm not gonna tip at all, maybe you're just extra kind. Maybe you tip even more than normal because you think, man, I don't know what she's been through today. And I'm gonna display in this moment unaffected love. Maybe for some of us, it's approaching the people we normally avoid. The people that like, when they don't walk in, we're like, whew, that's good. And when they walk in, we're like, oh, I gotta go. You know, maybe for us, the people that we feel this enmity with, maybe we go approach them and just say, hey, how are you doing? And we stick around long enough for them to respond. We're looking for that one action. And so public worship is gonna come up and we're gonna end our gathering with a couple of songs that just focus us on the love of Jesus. Before we stand and sing, I just want to invite us to consider the way he's loved us and to think about an action that will move us towards loving with a love that I can't shake, loving with unaffected love. And if you get that action in these next few moments, I encourage you to text it to someone so they can hold you accountable. Or maybe right after the gathering, find them and say, hey, this is what I need to do. So we can no longer misrepresent Jesus, but we can begin to love just as he has loved us. And if you don't follow him, I mean, the prayer team person will be there. His invitation is follow me. So Jesus, I'm blown away by Matthew's story. The fact that you loved him, that you love us, I, I cannot wrap my mind around it. But, but here's what I ask Jesus. I ask that you help us to really feel your love. 
And as we feel it, that we would be compelled and moved to take action and give us clarity about what that action needs to be. Show us the action we need to take so that we can display unaffected love, the same love that you showed us.